Tim Gillette here, and I'm here with another episode of my Tim Gillette show. This this episode here is going to be a unique one because I, I don't know today's guest. I get to know him live on camera. That's all we have, real conversations with real influencers. That's what today's conversation is going to be about. I know this gentleman, Mark, only from the fact that he's filled out my forms, come by my website and said, dude, you interview people? I want to be on your show. So we're going to find out about what Mark does Find out about what he's done over the past, things like that, and share with you a real conversation with a real influencer. Let's bring him up here. Hey, hey, Mark. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah. It's it's always good to connect with people I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's what makes the show interesting. You don't know who they are. It, it's Russian roulette podcast style. Yeah, yeah. I've only ever had one, one maybe two, and a thousand broadcasts. Then I was sorry that I did once I went live. You're not going to make me feel that way, right? I don't believe so, but show's not over yet. <laughs> uh, I have been known to disappoint before. Oh no! Anyway, Mark, where uh, where are you listening to? Where are you calling in from? I'm right in Midtown Manhattan in New York City. Oh my God, that horrible place! It is a place I love. I have lived here for decades. I stayed here throughout the pandemic. You're going to have a hard time getting me out. Cool. Well, I mean, right there, I could go down a whole slew of questions right there, Mark. I, I'm just living in New York City during the pandemic. But uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I grew up in the Poconos. Uh, my, I, I remember as a kid going to the Poconos. Yeah. So my, my mother's side of the family, uh, back I think two generations, three generations ago, created the Poconos. Wow. Founding family. Founding family. I, and I didn't know that until like, you know, about, about three years ago, I found that out. I'm like, oh, cool, mom. Thanks for telling me now. Anyway, um, I was born in Scranton and uh, lived on the eastern side of PEA up until I was 30 years of age. Oh, um, and I've been to New York many a times. Many a times. Because that was like, I could go take a train from Jersey and get into New York uh, into Penn Station and enjoy Manhattan for the day. Hop back on the train and go back home. When I did need to take a break from not the city, but my apartment during mm -hmm. the bulk of lockdown, yeah. I was looking at the Poconos. I wound up going upstate with a couple friends, yeah. but it was, it was one of the top contenders on the list. But I, I, all right, I grew up in the Poconos, kind of like, you know what I mean? Been there, done that. I've visited the Adirondacks a couple times, and I want to tell you, that's beautiful, New York. And a lot of great wineries. That was the best part of oh, it. It was yep. September. It was still warm. All the wineries were doing outdoor tastings. And we just had a terrific time. That's cool. So, Oh, so you're a wine taster. Now I found out something new about you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you lived in Manhattan your whole life? Or, or just so since, since adulthood? What? No, I, I was born in New York. And I grew up in the suburbs of New York and Chicago. Mm -hmm. Then I went to college in Cambridge. And lived there for a number of years throughout my 20s. Moved to New York when I turned 30. So I've been here a little, little longer than I'd like to admit now that I've hinted at my age. So yeah, one of my closest friends, he's from Long Island. And he lives up, he lives north of me here in Dallas area. He used to live in L.A. During the pandemic, I flew to L.A. to move him here. <laughs> but yeah, he's a Long Island boy. 
And uh, I'm Pocono, Pocono Mountains boy. We never met till like we were almost, we were in our 40s when we met. <laughs> Best friend. New, New York is a central meeting point between the two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my my youngest brother wanted to live in New York. Uh, he got me to move to Dallas, Texas, and he wanted to live in New York City. And uh, I think right it was like right around right around 9/11, just after that. He decided to do something else. And in, instead of New York City, he spent, I think, like 12 years in Singapore. Like, you think you're an intense city. <laughs> he went to Singapore. Why? Singapore, I've, I've been there. Singapore is a great city, especially if you're an entrepreneur looking to get into the Asian market. Mm -hmm. Because Singapore is probably one of the most Western cities. Yeah, it's yeah. primarily English speaking. It will feel very much like a Western city, but you have access to all of Asia. You have great school. You have great just infrastructure, very low crime. That's a wonderful place. I do need to go back. Yeah, he lived there for years. Uh, him and his wife moved to New Zealand now. Uh, but I have two, uh, you know, two, two sister-in-laws from, from Singapore. Uh, I've never been. So. You need to go, and if you go, go to the hawker centers. Yeah, yeah. These outdoor food courts where you're paying five, six dollars for some incredible food. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. But then again, all right, where you live, I've had incredible food. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, because it's not it, like New York and Chicago. It's like you can go through parts of town, and it's not a chain. All right, it's some guy named Sal who put his name on a Sal's Pizzeria. Joe's Diner, uh, you know, that's that's food that I've loved my whole life, you know. Yeah, the intense competition in cities like New York, mm -hmm. it really ups the game. And the people who have been around a while, they're there for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, now, uh, have you been an entrepreneur, all right, or had your own business your whole life? Or is it just something you stumbled into throughout life? I'd say most of my life, when I came out of MIT back in the 90s, mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to go into big tech, which back then was Microsoft and IBM. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to go to Wall Street. I didn't want to work in consulting. So well, I don't know what to do. And I stumbled onto this small local company. This is in the mid-90s and it was called a startup company. I said, all right, well, let me do this by process of elimination. And that turned out to be the right path for me. I've been doing startups pretty much my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I've been part of a number of different startups. Now I've also helped at times I've been a consultant. So sometimes I work as a fractional CTPO, yeah, Chief yeah. Technology slash Product Officer. I've helped a couple of Fortune 500s who wanted to play startup. They want to innovate and they need outside help. And they've also launched a couple of teaching programs at Harvard Business School and MIT but it's always been some type of entrepreneurial endeavor, my own or being part of a, a different larger one. Yeah. Wow. Um, you, it, that's kind of like, you know, be, me being an entrepreneur is like, it's like you get into it and it's almost, it almost becomes like a drug. Okay. I want to keep doing this. <laughs> exactly. Being part of a big company where I could just sit there and oversee a little piece. Yeah. That's never been a good fit for me. I like to, have a job where I don't know what the job is going to be in six or 12 months. Whatever I'm doing today, I might have the same title, yeah, but yeah. the job itself will be very different. Yeah. It's almost like, do you remember the, the remember when what, what Robert Kiyosaki said and when Rich Dad and Poor Dad come out, he said, you know, he's like, rich people really don't work for money. It's like an adventure. It's something they, something that drives them as to why they go to work every day. It's not money. 
they they usually have more money than they need because they're always seeking an adventure. Is that the feeling? Absolutely. If I just wanted the biggest paycheck, I could take my quantitative degrees. I can go to some quant hedge fund. And I've had job opportunities that were quite significant, obscene mm -hmm. amounts of money. There, there were one or two where I thought, hmm, I should have done this for about three years in my 20s. And just put a lot of money in the bank to give me some flexibility. Yeah. Maybe looking back, if I had been strategic in that way, I would have done it. But really, I, I know I wouldn't have been happy in those jobs. That would have been just suck it up for a few years. The other jobs I have, these days, I don't take a job unless I'm going to enjoy it. Because yeah. life's too short and I've been successful enough. I've been fortunate that I don't have to say, oh, I gotta, I got to do this one. Oh, well, I, I've had two jobs like that that I couldn't stand it, and I one one of them I stayed past my time. Uh, I, I don't think I've I've, I've worked a full time job longer than for somebody else longer than twenty two months. Uh, I mean, like at that point, I'm out. I can't stand it. I want gone. And there was one company that I made the twenty two month mark, and literally it was around twenty months that like I was frustrated, pissed off, drinking my days, my nights away, and. I remember sitting down in the boss. I mean, I had I have epilepsy and I had a seizure on this job. And I'm sitting in the boss's office and he goes, dude, you're either going to take your health or I'm talking to your doctor. You're, you're killing yourself. And I went and I blurted out, it's because I hate my job. And then, I mean, this is the greatest boss ever. His name is Dan. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's about time you admitted it because I've known that for a long time. And he said, now that you've admitted that, tell me what we're going to do about it. Like, he was a, he was someone who got me to think to be a problem solver. That's when I really went, okay, I can be an entrepreneur. I don't need a job anymore. Is that's when I, that was the last time I said I don't need a job anymore. Because before that, I would go for an adventure. I'd run myself broke, go get a job again. You know, the event, the the next venture would succeed. I'd sell, fail. I'd go get a job again. You know, and and that was the last one that even though I've had ven ventures fail, I didn't go back and get another job after that. So. Uh, My second most popular article is entitled, Let's Be Honest, This Job Isn't Going to Last Forever. Yeah. And we need to have honest conversations, yeah. authors and employees, that, you know what, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're probably not going to be here. Possibly both of us, probably at least one of us. Mm -hmm. Anytime I hire someone, I sit down with them the day they're hired, and I have a conversation. I tell them the following story. My father was a physician. He's retired now. When he was looking to leave his first job, he said to his manager, listen, I'm going to be looking for a new job. I want to let you know so you can begin to hire my replacement. Mm -hmm. Because he knew if he left a hospital, they would be short staff that puts patients at risk. He wanted to provide a good transition. And his boss responded, well, you can start looking today. You're fired. Mm. That was his response. Yeah. I tell the story to everyone. I say, look, at some point, you may want to leave. Now, I hope before then you come to me, we can talk about it. if there's a problem, I can try to address it. But if there's ever a point where you just say, that's it, I'm leaving. If you let me know, you will not be punished. I'm not going to say, oh, you can't go to the conference. You're only making my job easier. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that. And I had one guy, I didn't even think of this. He came to me and said, listen, my wife just got into law school. So in six months, I'm moving. <laughs> Nothing I could do about that. But he made my job easier. And when I do things like that, I show my employees, I care about you. Yeah. Being honest with me doesn't hurt you and it builds our relationship and I'm still going to look out for you. And that really creates a good environment. Well, let me ask you this, Mark. If, if someone came to you for a job and they start with you, 
and their ambition is to learn some things in your company, but they want to go out and be their own boss again someday. Are you going to help them do it? Absolutely. Chapter one of my book is about creating career plans. And your career plan is a lot longer than any one job you have, including right. a job you have with me. A good manager will help you grow, even if that growth takes you away from this job. Mm -hmm. But if we have that good relationship, you're not just going to say, hey, thanks, Mark, got everything I needed. I'm out of here. You can say, hey, you know what? It's time for me to move on, but let's transition. Let me help you and let me help find my replacement, train that person up. When you build those relationships, when you help people, they will help you back. They're going to leave sooner or later. They're yeah. not going to spend the next 40 years with you. Right. So you want to create that relationship where they don't want to just walk out the door. They want to welcome their replacement as they're, as they're leaving. So, yeah, in that job that I had a horrible time with, um, I trained the guy who replaced me. And I literally, I spent two weeks more with the company. I trained him. And I, several times I had to go back to do like a consulting thing to help him through other transitions and um, throughout the years, but he did say to me, now that you're honest and we made the transition plan, he said to me, you ever need anything, you call me. And I can tell you, there's two times I got in trouble that I called him and he knew the right connections to help me get out. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a relationship. And right there, you said it. I, I would rather work for a boss like that now than work for a boss who's going, well, I hope I can keep you here for life. <laughs> and now I'll give you a contrasting story. Yeah. I was at a, a startup where we'd done pretty well. The founder brought in a new CEO and this CEO was just known to be a complete jerk in the industry. I knew the day he showed up. So okay, my, my days are numbered. I got to start yeah, sending yeah. out resumes. There were some politics going on and someone on my team, she wanted to get on this project. She got blocked from it by someone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I tried to get her on it. I couldn't. She was frustrated. She wanted to leave. And I knew this. And because we had that conversation when I first joined, I told her, she said, look, I'm going to be looking for a new job. I said, you know what? No problem. I totally understand. Let me know what I can do to help. I will connect you to people. I'll write a reference. If you need time to come and go, no problem. Mm -hmm. And so she's going on interviews. Now this CEO, this new CEO noticed and kind of said, hey, you know, she's, she seems to be out of the office a lot. I said to her, listen, I'm getting a lot of heat because he notices you're not around. So I'm still happy to help you. Just try to be around during these hours. Try to minimize it. Try to do things morning and evening. Still happy to help. Unfortunately, she didn't do that. She just continued to have a lot of absenteeism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was a problem for me. It worsened my relationship with the CEO that was already not off to a great start. Yeah. And unfortunately, I asked her, so the one thing you do for me, she didn't do it. And it definitely made my exit a little more painful because it looked like I was doing a bad job. Mm -hmm. And even though I had a good relationship, a good relationship with her up until then, that was not a good way to leave it with me. And it certainly soured our relationship that even after she had done a good job, this is how she leaves it. So how we leave is really important for maintaining that long-term relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Now I had, I had one company. I mean, I worked for that. Uh, it was a national chain. Actually, I worked for one of their franchises and um, basically they were in the mid middle of transferring me to another one of their stores and a guy from my church, it was an auto repair industry, a guy from my church that I'd worked on his car long before I worked for these guys. Right. And I just said, well, I work here now. Why don't you just bring it in? And somebody else got the job and not me. So I'm like, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to sit and hold a grudge. 
But then something else went wrong and they found out that I had worked on the car and then they fired me for it. And I'm like, I, I brought him here. He was a customer of mine. It's why you have him. But you're firing me because I used to work on his car. Okay. Bye. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's a miscommunication. All right. That ended up in me getting, I mean, I could have been pissed off at that company. I could have sued him. I could have, you know, I'm like, whatever. Bye. You know, it's just signs that those are people you don't want to work with later in life. So, exactly. yeah, yeah. So, um, well, let me ask you this. All right. You, you mentioned this was with a young lady. All right. Have you had any, um, any dealings, uh, you know, good or bad with say dealing with someone with the opposite sex or dealing with someone who had to deal with a, you know, a boy's room and she had to be a woman or even uh, minorities coming in and, and them having to adapt to the way you do things. I don't think I've had that problem on my teams. Okay. Now, I, I have had a challenge. Okay. The reason we had uh, a problem, the reason I couldn't get her on this team, I was in a political fight with someone who had sexually harassed someone in his department mm. and remarkably wasn't fired, even though this was a very clear, there wasn't even a he said, she said. It was she said, he confirmed, but said it's not my fault. And yet still, she wound up leaving the company. He stayed. And I. this is one of my regrets. I should have quit back then. I was younger. I should have said, if this organization is going to keep this guy, this is not a place I want to be. But I'd only been there a few months. I was early in my career. I thought, well, I should, I should stay. And surely they're going to do something. And when over months, nothing happened. That, that was bad. So the relationship between he and I soured because of that. I completely lost respect for this guy and really didn't want to engage or work with him. But I don't think I've had that problem directly. I, I generally have very diverse teams. Mm -hmm. Gender diversity has been tough in technology. Yes. I primarily hire technical people. We are a male-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. So that's been, uh, I always try to get women, but it's interesting, all of us in tech, we all would love to get more women on our teams because we all recognize the value of having diverse opinions. Mm -hmm. There's just not that many. That, yeah, and it's and it's. It, does that go back into a schooling problem, or does that go into women just don't choose to stay with the path? That is the hundred billion dollar question that people look at. Now, there are different <laughs> theories. Yeah, Some yeah. are that we encourage boys more than girls to get into math and STEM. Yeah, yeah. Some are that there's a turn off at some point in middle school, high school. Some are that it can be a boys club. And we've certainly seen a lot of reports in Silicon Valley, everything from Gamergate to looking at a company like Uber, where women are treated inappropriately mm -hmm. and that turns them off. And then there are questions of, of course, there's just some biological differences that women have to take more time off than men do when it comes to childcare. Exactly. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and we lose some of that in the pipeline. So people have been looking at this in a lot of different places. And I think the jury's still out a bit. We probably need to do better at each and every level. Yeah. So Brett says, definitely true in school. I went back for CS later in life and it was around 95.5. That's, that's a huge, huge domination there of men, right? Wow. 95.5. Where um, I went to MIT, you know, I was there in the 90s. Yeah. We were about 60 40 
men to women for the undergrads. Of course, we're a very technical school. Each year, MIT was upping it by about 1%. Mm -hmm. We've been 50-50 undergrad for a while, but in our graduate programs and certainly the PhD programs, I think there's still a, a bias. We're still a little male-oriented. And I, I think to their credit, the whole industry or the vast majority of the industry really does want to address this problem. We want to get more women into the field. We are getting more women into the field, but not fast enough. Yeah. Now, my dad taught diesel mechanics at, uh, at Monroe County Votech School up there in the Poconos. And I remember, I think it was the 90s, uh, uh, Mark, when he had his first female student. And I think that was like diesel mechanics. You're like big truck mechanic and you've got this tiny little girl who's going to work on it. And my dad, you know, most people were like, you know, oh, my dad was like, no, that's exciting. All right. She's willing to tackle it. I'm willing to help her. All right. He says, that's my job to teach. If you have a desire, I got a desire to teach you how to do it. You know what I mean? And that's when we see it. You know what I mean? That field again. Now, I think now you see more mechanics that are women. But like when I worked in owned auto businesses, you never seen women in auto. Yeah. Think back to the toys we had as a kid. Mm -hmm. There was something called the pink aisle. If you yeah. remember back in yeah. Toys R Us, which mm -hmm. we used to go to as kids, and you have all the toys and the pink aisle. That's where you had the Barbies and you had the the house, you know, home economics, like make your own kitchen. Mm -hmm. And you had those things that was geared towards girls and they were focused on that aisle, not the aisle with the G.I. Joes, not the aisle with the little robotics kits. Yeah, the yeah. Boys in. We were orienting girls towards different types of activities. Again, we've been much better at addressing this. If you look at today's STEM toys, they really focus on hitting both genders, really hitting across the board. Yeah. So we're, we're getting better, but we've got some legacy overhang. Yeah, it's, it's cool that you're willing to go there in the conversation with me, because I was wondering about, you know, in a position of leadership like you, how many times you would, would we've all hit hiccups and things. And I'm glad you didn't have to hit it as much, but I wish you had more time, more opportunity. To. <laughs> if we don't talk about this as leaders, it yeah. will not get addressed. So we have to have conversations, even if, hey, we're not doing as good a job as we should be. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't address our mistakes and weaknesses individually as a business, as an industry, we're not going to improve them. Yeah. Now, over the years, I mean, I was in the auto industry up till 2004, and I kind of switched gears into where I'm working now, but. Uh, even in the auto industry, there was two things you hardly ever seen. There was hardly ever a woman in the shop. All right. And I can tell you in all of my years of working in auto industry, only one person I worked with that was gay or lesbian. One. And I worked, let me tell you, I've worked for major automotive companies around the world and like one that was gay. All right. Of course, I'm sure there's a lot more now, but when you look at diversity in things right now, I've worked with a couple of, I had, I had a black mechanic, a black truck mechanic at the jo last job that I told you about earlier. And he was great. He was a good kid, but my boss always looked down on him because he was a black kid, but I'm like, this kid knew how to fix things. And if I asked him to do something, he'd go do it. You know what I mean? And I, I so I'm never, I've never been one of those people to go, well, uh, you know, just because you're whatever, you don't fit this. No, if you're willing to do the job, like this guy had a willingness, I can, teach somebody with a willingness far more than I could push somebody with a knowledge. <laughs> I, I do think certainly the tech industry has been pretty good about being 
LGBTQ friendly. Yeah, yeah. We've generally been been open and come on in. And if you can do the job, that's what we're focused on. And again, today, I do see a push in the industry, just as we're looking for more women, mm-hmm. we are looking for more LGBTQ. We're looking for more certain types of minorities. And what I mean by that is when you look at Indian and other Asian groups, they are statistically overrepresented in tech. Yeah. It, it's not that we, we don't want those folks, but just like white males like me, there's plenty of them around. We don't yet have enough Hispanic, yeah. African American, Native American software engineers, and we all would love to see more. But again, we have to really, I think, encourage programs in certain school districts, in certain pathways that these students come through to encourage them to go down this path. Yeah. So, like, you mentioned that in the Hispanic world, all right, especially since there's more Hispanics here in America uh, than any other minor, any other minority, right? And I would think in the computer world, you, you're you're going to need them, some of them, for your tech and and and, and um, um, what am I thinking? Like your your help desks, your set, you know what I mean, your sales, because you get someone calling in who's Hispanic and speaks Spanish. And all of your tech guys who can help them can only speak English. Certainly in, if you're doing a consumer facing product, then in customer service, customer success, you absolutely need some of that where they can help their Spanish speaking customers. But yeah, across the board, we really want to see in engineering, in marketing and sales everywhere. We, we really like to see more within the tech industry of all these underrepresented minorities. Yeah. Yeah. So I never thought I'd have a conversation going this direction, but apparently, as I told you, I don't know what I'm asking when we go live. Um, well, I mean, I know you wrote a book. Tell us about tell us about the book you wrote, all right, and what made you come up with the idea to put that book together. I'll start with the latter, because early in my career, I knew I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer, mm-hmm. overseeing the engineering at startups. I realized that to do that, it wasn't just about being a great engineer. There were other skills I needed, leadership, communication, team building, networking, negotiating. Whether it was my company I'm doing myself or whether I was part of a team trying to build a larger company, I needed these skills, but no one taught them to me. We don't get these in school. So I had to teach them to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I went out, I developed these skills. And as I was learning them, I realized they are not just for founders and executives. They are for everyone. So I began to upskill my team. Now, as I was doing this, research was coming out of different universities that said, these are the skills companies want, but they can't find. Wow. So at my college, at MIT, they wanted to put together a program to get these skills into our students. And when I heard about this, I reached out. I said, I've been training up my team. I'm happy to share some material with you. They said, oh, please, please share it. We talked about it. Then they asked me to help teach. So in parallel to building all these startups, I've spent the past 20 plus years teaching at MIT and elsewhere. And that turned into the book and the speaking and the other things that I do as well. Cool. cool. Well, uh, how was that a transition for you going from doing the, being the hands-on guy to teaching it as well? I, I like both. Now I never wanted to teach full time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for example, I also, I was a competitive ballroom dancer. as one of the top in the country. Wow. But I, I never know that about you. There's a surprise for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you're a competitive ballroom dancer, how do you make your money if you're a professional? Well, you teach others. 
-hmm. And at a certain point, well, okay, right. I'm teaching you to dance for your wedding. Come on, quick, quick, slow and keep your arms up. And it gets very repetitive. And no matter what I teach, if I'm teaching the same thing to the same people can be a little repetitive. Mm -hmm. Now I just teach on the side. There's some repetition. Okay. Yeah. I've done this module with hundreds and thousands of people before, but that's okay because I'm not doing this 52 weeks out of the year. Mm -hmm. I'm going doing other things. I step in, I do a little teaching. It's very energizing for me. And the great thing is because I do it in a cohort of other instructors, I learn from them. They learn from me. So that does help me continue to develop as well wow. for the other instructors and even for my students. Wow. That's cool. I mean, yeah. Cause I, I, I never thought of the aspect of teaching. I still don't call like people ask me to teach them something. I still don't call myself a teacher. I'm like, I, I like, I like to I think to think along the lines of I'm facilitating your learning experience, but I hate, I don't know the word teacher just cause I'm not, I'm not educated like you. I've got college. I never went to college. Right. My dad, same thing, but my dad, he didn't go back. He went back to high school or back to get his high school diploma at like 40 years of age and then went and got a college degree because he was teaching high school students. And he found teaching to be more fun than actually out in the field. Now, he still would go work on a diesel truck anytime you asked him, but his joy came in. If he talked to you over the phone, Mark, and you told him, well, I've got a 1993 Dodge pick up with the Cummins diesel into it. And this is what it's doing. He could tell you how to fix it over the phone and have never met you in person. <laughs> That's, That's a, a teacher. <laughs> when you hit upon something really important that we have different ways we can learn and some content is learned better one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. We think back to middle school and we had to learn the quadratic equation. Mm -hmm. Standard way to teach this. Teacher puts on the board, explains how it works. You do some practice problems. We memorize the formula. We practice. That's a good way to learn the quadratic equation. But when it comes to some of these other skills, leadership, negotiating, communication, you can't just sit there and learn. You can't have the teacher say, do these things, and now you're a leader. <laughs> more akin to learning a sport. I can't teach you to play basketball by saying, here are the rules. Here's what you have to keep in mind. Great. You're a basketball player. Yeah. You actually have to be hands-on. You have to try. You have to scrimmage. You have to drill. Yeah. And when it comes to these skills, communication, leadership, networking, negotiating, you need to do. Exactly. Now, that doesn't mean you can't practice. In fact, here is one of the best ways to learn. What you want to do is create a peer learning group. Mm -hmm. Now, I give this away to companies. So for bigger companies, they'll take this as a free download, uh, download on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com on the resources page. It's the first download. And a company can implement this. But if you are a solopreneur, if you're on your own, if you only have a company of three or four people, mm -hmm. you can still go get some other companies and people you know, create a local meetup group and get yeah. a group of people together. So get some folks together. Now, I recommend breaking into small groups of around six to eight people, but you can do it in larger groups. Now, here's the key. You want to, within this group, engage with some content. Yes, you can use my book and okay, you read these 10 pages. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book, use an article, a video, use a great podcast like this one. You listen to an episode. Mm -hmm. And then you come and discuss it. Yeah, yeah. This is the key. There is no formula for leadership. There's not, well, Mark said, do this. Therefore, that's what I'm doing. It's in that discussion. You're going to have a different perspective than I have. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I never would have thought of that. That's a really good point. I might come and say, you know, 
So I just read about how to communicate. I've got to explain this to my team. Here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You're going to share, well, you know, Mark, I tried something similar. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. This is how we're going to learn. That's how we scrimmage and practice. Mm -hmm. So we can do that in small groups. And that's going to really help us develop. We don't need a teacher at the board telling yeah. us this. We need to get some initial content, but it's that discussion that's really going to help us grow. Yeah. And I and and I'm glad you brought that up because you know one of the one of the things um, my mentor had he talked about a, a mastermind that he was part of uh, a very high end mastermind with people like Tony Robbins and stuff are into it but um, he said one of the assignments they had to do it for that was in 2015 might have been early 2016 they had they did they did a marketing assignment they broke up into small groups. And they had to study the Donald Trump campaign. And there were people, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's a very device, dis, de, divisive name, right? There's, there's people vomiting trying to, because he wanted them not to know Donald Trump, but his marketing is what they wanted to study. And he says, the people who came out of that learning marketing things that they never thought of, you know what I mean? Simple things that I'm sure like you've got in your book. Like, you know, Donald Trump would have been the guy to go and shake hands. Yeah, I heard similar groups doing it in the early 2000s with the Bill Clinton campaign. Same thing. When you study things of how the group, how someone like that became successful and then discuss it. Well, now you got five people. Well, he, he, he became he became successful because he's a jerk. And then they end a the conversation. You don't learn anything. Well, no, he became successful to me because I remember meeting him at a truck stop and he shook my hand. And, you know, no one's ever shaken my hand like that. Another person goes, but his campaign, he said this on TV. You know what I mean? And, the, and it goes back and forth. And there could be five people with five different opinions as to why the marketing worked. Same concept. Am I right? Exactly. It's having a discussion, getting those different perspectives. Mm -hmm. In leadership, there has been the classic question, which now might be replaced. But the classic question at even graduate level mm -hmm. Hitler a good leader? Yeah. And one is arguing he is a good person. The question <laughs> is, he a good leader? Now, some of the arguments pro is that he took a country that had been defeated, demoralized, was economically in a bad position, mm -hmm. and transitioned them out. Yeah. And in that sense, by some metrics that you can look at a national level, there were improvements. Now, yeah. we also did horrible things, unethical things, yeah. and there's eight. Can you be a good leader, meaning competent, if you do unethical things? And that's the open debate that you get it into. Is, it is an open debate, but it is a, uh, it is another good example of a learning experience by, by putting people in a position they have to study that. Because we in America all agree we think Hitler's a bad guy. But you brought up a good point there. Was he a good leader? Hmm, he... There's, there's characteristics that say he would be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so. if you, you can start by looking at the extreme and we can also, oh yes, absolutely horrible, horrible person, mm -hmm. but we can find a line somewhere. I can find a line with anyone yeah. where one of us will say, oh, but, but that's acceptable. And the other will say, no, it's not. And they say, well, is it, is it a bright line? Is it, oh, you just did something I don't find acceptable. Now you're not a good leader in my eye. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets very complicated and subtle. And this is what we have to explore to understand and develop. Yeah.
Exactly. So, so you heard some interesting points come up here. All right. And, and I, you know, I love, I love it. So, so you created the book. All right. You've got the book out there. You get the website out there. Did this take you in a whole nother direction with it, with, with separate businesses now, or uh, is it something as an add on to what you've been doing? It did in that. So I generally do tech startups. I continue to do that. I do the teaching on the side, mostly for fun. The book was perhaps an extension of the teaching and I do speaking as well. I get brought in to speak at conferences and companies and having a book is kind of a natural extension. One thing that came out of there though, is I created a free companion app for the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I sat there, I, I was talking to my neighbor and my neighbor said, oh, you should do an app for your book. Okay, yeah, okay, what should the app do? So I don't know, you should do an app. Okay, great. Like next, tell me I should sell lots of books. I'll yeah, put yeah. it on the list. What should the app do? So I, I don't know, let's do an app. And so I thought about the many different things I've done. Now I've done technology, I've done media, I've done B2B marketing, I've done education. I started thinking about these different things and I recognized if I have an app, this can change how people engage with content. Yeah. How many you read a book, you say, oh, this is really great. And then you forget it. Yeah. I don't want my readers to have that because mm -hmm. I want my readers to remember it. Now, yeah. also as an author, I'd like to be remembered. Yeah. If you're thinking of me, you're more likely to recommend my book to your friends. So I get some benefit too. So yeah. I came up with an app. We take some of the highlights from the book. And then what we do is you can either open the app and say, oh, I'm about to go into a networking event. Let me get those networking tips. Or you don't even have to open the app. You just get a push each day at a time you set. So as you walk into the office at 9 a.m. each day, you get a little push of, all right, there's a good tip. I need to remember that. Swipe. So by making it little effort, but helping you retain the content, mm -hmm. you get a benefit and I, as the author, get a benefit. Now, that is something. So I created. It didn't exist. I really thought it, someone must have done this. I'll just license it. Instead, I went out. We patented it, built an app for it. And in fact, other authors and podcasters and bloggers saw it and said, how do I do this? Yes. So I launched a separate side business. It's actually coming out next week. We're recording this at the end of March, 2022. It's coming out in April, 2022, Brain Bump. Mm -hmm. And the Brain Bump app is going to let other authors, podcasters, bloggers put their content into the app. And then people can download the app for free and get the highlights from their podcasts and books wow. so they can retain it. So it's one little thing by being open-minded, by talking oh, to different yeah. people, one thing leads to more opportunities. And always, all, doors doors seem to open, all right, when you're willing to turn the knob. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it's been a great conversation with you, Mark. I mean, you know, you, you really were a surprise of, of a guest because there's some, I, I didn't know about you, but you turned some stuff that I had no idea. We had a conversation that I, I don't think I've ever had on my on my podcast. Um, but you know, I want to make sure people can get a hold of you, find out more about you, the book. All right, maybe you know, maybe get the apps and connect with you. Best website that they can do that. If you go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, and there you can see where to buy the book, Amazon, elsewhere. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. You can learn about my speaking. You can download the free app. If you go to the app page, we link to the Android and iPhone store so you can get the app for my book. Mm -hmm. There's also additional content. I write new articles every week. And then the resources page 
where you've got that free download for how to create that peer learning program, mm -hmm. a number of other free downloads to help you, your career, your business. That's all on the resources page, all of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. And then beginning in April of 2022, Brain Bump at the App Store. So if you look for Brain Bump, you're going to find it, and that's going to have a lot of additional content. And I, and I think if they get that download, they've got on your email list, so you're going to notify them when they get they can get Brain Bump, right? I, I do Just not. Just say, they should get on your email list to do that. <laughs> I do not actually collect emails. Now, this is a best practice many people do. Yeah. But I know that if I collect emails, people are going to be less likely to want to download some of this content. So oh. I give away my content for free. I don't know if you download it. You don't even have to give me an email. Maybe eventually I'll turn that on, but I'd rather help you than market to you. Yeah. See, I collect your email addresses, but I hardly ever send you any emails. <laughs> so, but no, I've got ways that I have ways that. That, that I've made use of that, all right, to be able to then tell people, well, you know, remember I told you that next thing was coming? Well, here it is, uh, you know, and here's the link. So that's the way I've done it. But I am horrible. I've got an email list, but I am horrible of communicating to them. I've got to improve that myself. That's my thing I've got to improve on. So anyway. the irony is I used to send out over half a billion emails a year because one yeah. of my companies, email marketing was a big piece of our business. So I know all about the business. I just yeah. don't do it for my own businesses. Yeah. yeah. Well, not my marketing coach. He tells me he 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 used to, used to do all this stuff where he would teach a seminar on it, and he goes, you know, I used to do all this stuff. I don't do it anymore. And I'm like, dude, then why are you teaching? <laughs> you know, finally he 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 moved states, and now he has to do it again, right? He has to come in and do all the stuff he taught again uh, from the beginning. So anyway, it's funny how we transition that way in life, isn't it? <laughs> so, well, before you go, uh, you know, Mark, uh, I play a game with all of my guests uh it's a game called this or that sammy hagar did it on his tv show i thought i was cooler than sammy but anyway i got it down to where you get to pick the questions envelope one through five you pick your number and we'll find out what we ask you let's go with number four number four that would be that one right there you don't know what's in those envelopes but this one here we're gonna find out envelope number four Question number one, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Star Trek. Like, are you like, you know, uh, back in the original Spock or are you next generation? I grew up with both. Yeah. But I, I probably, you know, Spock is definitely number one in my mind. And the original, I think, definitely wins just because it was such an innovative program. And it's what I grew up with as a kid. Uh -huh. Well, who, who, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because we talked about leadership. Who's the better leader, Kirk or Picard? Uh, Picard is a better leader. <laughs> in, in fact, this was on, for those who are Big Bang. Um, Big Bang theories, yes. Th this was a question Sheldon actually asked. Um, mm -hmm. um, I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, of, wait a minute. He did. He asked that of, of, of uh, Leonard when he was in a roommate. Yeah, he asked him when he was when he was auditioning him. He said, "Which one?" And Laird said, "Original over Next Generation, but Picard over yeah. over Kirk." Because Picard and, was a better leader. He was, yeah, hands down. Yeah, he, yeah, he he didn't he didn't get distracted by green skinned women and put his ship at risk. Yeah, yeah. Um, question number two: Coffee or tea? I don't drink coffee at all. I'd say soda, Coca-Cola, but I'd pick tea between the two. Yeah. 
you know, it's funny because like, you know, the, some some of these things actually have things like beer and wine. And, we you know, we, we didn't get into the wine aspect of what you had. But anyway, you picked this envelope. I didn't. <laughs> Question number three. This ought to be interesting to ask a New Yorker. Camping or hotel? Hands down hotel. I am not an outdoors person. <laughs> I'm good with a cabin. Yeah, yeah. Happy go out into a cabin in the woods, but I like indoor plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. My idea of roughing it is a four-star hotel. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number four. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. Boxers. Except when I was a competitive ballroom dancer, briefs. Uh, is it is it was it is it is it like the the fit or the crimp or what is it? I gotta know. It, it's a sport. You're moving around a lot. You're using your legs a lot. Yeah. The briefs are usually better. Oh, okay. I never thought about that. So question number five, taco or hamburger? Hamburger. All right. Now you're a man after my own heart. I mean, come on. I'm a hamburger guy out and out. Had one for lunch today, baby. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I had one last night. Uh, I, I was missing hamburgers during the pandemic. I would make some at home, but going out to a restaurant, getting a good hamburger, and of course in New York, just with the crowding, a lot of the restaurants during the winter, you just didn't want to be indoors with during spikes. So mm -hmm. I was missing hamburgers a lot the past two years. Yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah. And let me tell you, the, the, I think you can go down one block in New York and have six different hamburgers, can't you? <laughs> uh, pizza is a big thing. By my apartment... Yeah. With three blocks, there are about six or seven different pizza places within two blocks, in fact. Wow. I, I, miss... I happen to live in the pizza capital of New York. Yeah. I have so many around me. That's the one thing I miss about the Northeast is, is uh, the, 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 you know, the pizza. I'm a New York pizza guy. You know, down here, a lot more people down here will, you know, it's, it's half like pizza, like New York and half like Chicago style. Nope. I'm a I'm a thin crust New York guy out and out, and it's because that's what I grew up with, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Living in Chicago, I wasn't the biggest fan of Chicago pizza because I was a little kid. And I, what do you mean pizza? I want that New York slice. What are they yeah. doing here? But I do appreciate it as an adult. And the funny thing, whenever I go, certainly to Chicago, I get deep dish. When I go to Vegas, yeah, one thing I like about Vegas: amazing restaurants. And even though I'm a New Yorker, we have great stuff. Vegas has fantastic restaurants, great service. One place I try to go when I'm there for more than a few days, Giordano's Pizza, which is a Chicago chain. And they've got, you have all these fancy restaurants and Michelin stars. You just go, here's like a pizza place. I'm paying 10 bucks for some pizza, but I will try to get, because I can't get it in New York. I can get it when I go to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, that 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 is like the unique things you find in places like that. I love it. So, all right. Um, question number six: Which one are you scared of most, snakes or spiders? Spiders. Spiders. And do not like spiders. Well, I can see how spiders where you're at. All right, down here, snakes. <laughs> Even I think walking in the woods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't know. It, it doesn't, it doesn't get to me the way spiders is just something you, when you think of a horror movie, when you think of mutated things, you yeah. think of giant spiders. No one's like, Oh, look, there's a giant snake. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So 
Question number seven, our last one. You picked it. Does the toilet paper at your house go over on the roll or under? I am very much an over person. I'm very intentional about that. And in fact, if you look at the original patent, you can go back, you can see the original patent drawing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's over. over. Yeah. Now, 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 Mark, I've asked that question on the podcast and I've had, you know, I get all kinds of people I interview and I've got the most interesting ones are the people who are the all rainbows and unicorns throughout the whole show and love and peace. And you ask that question <laughs> over. <laughs> it's like, whoa, <laughs> take some of that peace medicine, dude. <laughs> Man, yeah, there, there's a divide in America. For, forget the left and right. It's the over it's versus over, over and under. That's the divide in America right there, baby. So. Well, Mark, it's been a joy getting to know you today. All right. Repeat your website one more time for those people in the audience so both, both the video and audio people can hear it. The website is thecareertoolkitbook.com, and the app that's coming out in April is Brain Bump. Brain Bump. Brain Bump and thecareertoolkitbook.com. Well, Mark, I thank you for taking time out of your schedule, sharing your, your, your life with my audience. And I, really, I appreciate it because I know you're a busy man and it, it means a lot to me. Thanks for having me on the show today. You bet. You bet. So to you guys, listeners, I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. All right. Go check out Mark. As you see, adventures happen when you get to know new people. Uh, the Career Toolbook, the Career Toolkitbook.com is his website. And I know I will stumble over that several times. Go check him out and find out more about him. I'm Tim Gillette with The Tim Gillette Show. I'll be back next week with another episode. Have a great one, guys. Bye.